listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your personal guitar scientist with 25 years of experience building and repairing guitars. Tonight is a special episode. We're not doing Q&A. We're not doing your questions. We're not taking your calls. No, this is an interview episode. We're going to spend some time. We're going to chat with Dave Stoudy from San Diego, California. Uh, He grew up in Denver, relocated to San Diego in the 90s, and has been working for Taylor Guitars for over 20 years. Dave's got a lot of experience with all kinds of repairs as well, so it's it should be a really, really fun and good conversation. So we'll get to that in just a moment. But first, I want to take care of a little bit of business. I have been having trouble with my contact form at ericdaw.com. So If you tried to contact me uh, through most of January and the early part of February, that contact form was not working. So if you asked questions or tried to contact me through my website or submitted uh, questions for the podcast, it likely is lost. It's out there flying around and will never get to me. I, You know, those contact forms are so tricky, but I finally got it configured now where it works with my email address directly. So it should be a thing of the past. I don't know how it got so messed up, but I realized in the early part of February, I wasn't getting anybody's emails. And I thought, gosh, it's been awfully quiet around here. But uh, it was just an internet glitch. Don't you love that? Uh, I hate it. Anyhow, if you tried to contact me and I didn't get back to you, Try again, because uh, it wasn't working. Anyhow, let's get into our interview. Dave Stoudy is joining us now via Skype. Hello, Dave. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for joining me on the podcast here. Oh, I'm more than happy. Yeah, good. Yeah, I, We've been talking about it for a while, and uh, so I'm glad we're finally making it happen. Of course. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you got into this field. Uh, you know, I, I I like to ask people that because it's uh, it's a it's a weird <laughs> career, guitars. You know, and I'm always curious how people got into this field. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Um, well, like a lot of people, I dropped out of college to explore this illustrious career. Um, I guess I had to start playing piano at an early age and then trombone and band stuff 
um, started playing guitar at 15, um, ended up choosing a musical degree for college. Not that I wanted to be a work in the field, but at one point, after about five years of college, I needed my guitar fixed, and the closest luthier was about a mile away, and I walked into his shop, and I was just blown away by what I saw. I was like, wow, this mm-hmm. is this is my kind of place. Cool. So I just, you know, said, I'm in college. I could work after in the evenings if you show me what you're doing, yeah. you know, just sweeping the floors and stuff. And summer came, I went to work full time and I never went back to school. That's awesome. Were you the kind of person, you know, as like as a younger person, were you mechanically inclined? Were you the kind of guy that tinkered with electronics and mechanics? Um. Not so much electronics, but I always was making stuff and taking stuff apart um, as a kid. Not so much getting it back together, but um, <laughs> I made lots of model rockets and models and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I was using my dad's tools yeah. more than he was, Man, stuff like that. It seems like every luthier I talk to has a similar story that they, you know, as a child, they were interested in how things work and taking things apart. Um, it's just kind of a universal thing. Yeah, totally. That's, that's awesome. So how long have you been uh, building, repairing? What, what, what's your main focus? Well, I think uh, you're in my path. It's about the same timeline. I started this around 91. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I worked in a small shop in Denver. That's where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, it was called the Guitar Clinic. It's now defunct. Um the luthier I worked for, he had gone to the Red Wing School of Luthery and okay. excelled really well there. Um, mm-hmm. I worked there mm-hmm. for about five years and then moved to California, San so, Diego. Okay, so you're in the San Diego area and uh, you work for Taylor, right? Yeah. How long have you yeah, been there? Yeah, when I got to San Diego, I didn't know. I didn't think I would be working on guitars. I thought I would find a carpenter and try to learn like you know custom furniture making and the first carpenter i went to said why haven't you applied to taylor when i told him <laughs> my background and i was like really where are they he said well i think they're in el cajon that's just like 15 minutes from here so yeah. i said okay i'm going there now cool he said wait come back if you don't find anything um so i started at taylor in 97 wow when i moved to california yeah and I did end up working for the cabinet maker uh, part time for almost two years mm-hmm. in the beginning. Where what did you start doing uh, at Taylor? What did they have you start with? Um, I was fortunate because I had some background in guitars. They put me right into the final assembly department. Mm-hmm. Um, that was assembling four guitars a day and gluing up four guitars for the following day. Oh wow! Okay. And there was about 115 employees, and we were making about 70 guitars a day between two shifts. Wow. Now we have well over 1,000 employees, and we make um, over 700 guitars a day. Unbelievable. That's awesome. Now, most of that is done in Takate at our factory um, where we make five to 600 guitars a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, you were in their repair division for a while. Is that right? Yes, I was in final assembly for about three years, and then I transferred into the warranty repair department where I was for 19 years. So 
uh, doing Taylor warranty repair, you would get guitars sent back from all over the world, basically? All over the world for all different kinds of reasons. Yeah. Um, people can send them back for other things than warranty, uh, pickup upgrades or mm-hmm. damage that they may have done to their guitar. Yeah. But a lot of warranty also. Yeah. What's the, what's the Taylor warranty like? I've never really looked into it. Well, it's 100% warranty to the original owner um, against craftsmanship, and that includes electronics. Um, I think the electronics does wear off after seven or eight years. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. Um, with some of our older systems. Yeah. But we'll yeah. offer a discount on an upgrade. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, any structural stuff like bridges coming off or glue joints failing, um, a lot of stuff that people think is warranty, once it gets to our shop, it doesn't turn out that it is yeah. covered under the warranty. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So uh, after um, working in the repair division, then then what happened? Um, I actually got invited to work uh, recently, about a year ago, in the uh, research and development area. Oh, cool. Man, that sounds I fun. Just our, our head designer, Andy Powers, and... Um, anyone else who needs assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's some really cool stuff that I'm getting involved in now. I bet. Were you, were you involved in developing the uh, the new bracing system that they're using now? Um, no, that came before me. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're always moving forward yeah. with new stuff. Uh, what's the feedback you've heard on, on that? Um, it's good. I it's think, all good. I think the so, guitar, too. Is more stable. I think they sound um, better. The ones I've played the, with the new bracing system, I thought they sounded better. I thought they sounded great. Yeah, it does sound great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it sounds great. It's a more stable guitar. The they don't pull in as much mm-hmm. um, compared to the X brace. So we have a lot less warranty neck resets to do. We're, we track that um, very accurately. I mean every. Every call that someone calls in is tracked and categorized to keep an eye on, you know, what's leaving the factory, any trends that might be popping up. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And we have a huge network of warranty repair guys out there that are certified. Sure. Um, so that's another, you know, valuable tool of tracking what, what the guitars are doing when they leave the world. Yeah. Or go into the world. Um, any, uh, crazy, uh, repair stories you can share with us or what you've seen over the years? Yeah, there's lots of them. They probably would fall under the, under your Halloween special. <laughs> <laughs> we could, we could go over a couple of them. Um, people run over their guitars a lot more than you'd think, <laughs> um, with their cars. Yeah. A couple guitars have suffered gunshot wounds. Oh, wow. Really? Um, buyers um one guy uh we we do a lot of education on caring for your guitar especially humidity related stuff yeah leaving it in the case if you live in an arid climate you know Mm -hmm. you need to humidify it so he was leaving the country for several months and asked his mother to check on the guitar the humidity level and showed him what he was doing i don't know with a dampener or whatnot yeah she ended up opening the case about once a month and just pouring water into the sound hole. Oh, oh no! Are you serious? Like she was watering a plant. Wow! So he got back from his work abroad or whatever, and he sent that back to us to take care of. 
that's astonishing that someone could think that 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 was proper care and feeding of a guitar. Just pour some water in the sound hole. Yeah, I don't think his mom really understood. <laughs> no, obviously not. Concept. Um, <laughs> that's great. Another guitar that got a a bullet into it. Um, it came. It's it supposedly it saved the guy's life. Wow. Um, it came through the guitar in the upper bout on the bass side, and then kind of ricocheted into si- inside of it. Wow. And what had happened was they were playing guitar around a campfire while they were camping, uh-huh. and this bullet came out of the fire. A bullet came out of the fire, like charged. Yeah. Out of, oh, wow. wow. And we didn't know too much about the circumstance. Um, I fixed the guitar, and then about a week later, we do a daily tour at 1 o'clock. Mm-hmm. A couple of guys mm-hmm. pulled me aside that were on the tour and said, hey, did you guys hear about a guitar that got shot? And I was like, yeah, I fixed it. And he said, that was my guitar. Oh, wow. And that's what I said. And I was like, what happened? And he told me that they were around a campfire, and the only thing they can um, figure out is that they were probably camping in a old firing range. Oh. The bullet was really old. I think the bullet was in the case, and you could tell it was just severely deteriorated, had been underground. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was just a freak accident yeah yeah gun gunpowder lasts a long long time um so that you know i i can believe that story that's wild yeah so uh, aside from working at taylor for the last 20 plus years uh i understand that you also uh have a uh, side repair business do you do you work out of your home yeah yeah we've always the the guys in the repair shop um well when i started in there there was four of us now that I think there's eight mm-hmm. we've always been encouraged to work on other instruments other brands um if we want to after hours at our benches yeah okay uh, not that everyone does that but it expands your knowledge of the guitar and you get to see what's out there and yeah you become a more valuable employee that's that's what Bob Taylor has always thought um, that's cool so they actually encourage you to um to to work uh on the side and do uh uh repair work yeah yeah if you want to i think that's um, smart i think that's really smart yeah yeah most of the time in the repair department i worked with their number one employee who was the the guy that had been there the longest um his name is tim larank he just retired about a year ago after 35 years i think mm-hmm. around there um and he always had side jobs going um and there was, only, like I said, only a couple of us. But I always wanted a shop of my own. I mean, I've been collecting tools for almost 30 years. Sure. Um, we found this house that had a separate building, and I was able to build a shop in it. It's about 400 square feet. Oh, perfect. And, um, yeah, I built a buffing wheel, and um, I have a spray booth. And so I can just do a lot. Yeah. I can do everything. I mean, I'm... The ultimate goal is to build guitars out of here, and I'm finally getting around to that. You you know what it's like to juggle building and repairing. Yeah, um, it's kind of tricky. Yeah, it is. Yeah. The the quick and easy, not quick or easy, but the faster money is always in, so enticing. You know, you do have to to pay the bills. So yeah, you know, and for me, like I wouldn't want to give up one or the other because I I enjoy both so much. I mean, I I, I really enjoy repairing, you know, and it it tends to be uh, 
it's it's always a wild card. I mean, you never know what is going to show up uh, repair-wise. And building guitars is a lot more predictable work. And it's not always fraught with such, you know, problems. Some, you know, repair repair work can really test your um, abilities. And uh, even, you know, like just just from the just from a standpoint of you know finish touch up and and woodworking um a lot more problems in repair where with a fresh build you're you're not really solving problems you're just creating a, a new um instrument so it's it's uh you know i i really enjoy both aspects and i wouldn't want to give up one or the other i do too i i do enjoy the repair work um even especially like neck resets mm-hmm. and fret work um Mm-hmm. I, I just love them both. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of finish work too, which I don't mind at all. Yeah, uh, and in the factory we had a, access, you know, to a hundred thousand dollars spray booth with four bays in it, and there's only eight guys. We had a full kitchen of we can all the chemicals you need and five hundred dollars spray guns. So we were all spraying finish every day. Uh huh. Um, and I've got a spray booth here. I mostly I don't really spray the UV that we do. I can here. I have a UV light. Oh yeah, doesn't have a great shelf life, so I don't do it very often. When I I can still just go back to work and do it. Yeah. Um, but I love spraying nitro. Um, yeah, that's all I've it, ever sprayed. I've I've never had any experience with the UV or or spraying poly. I've I've always been a lacquer guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great stuff. Easy to work with, you know. Really, but. I mean, I'm totally. not. I'm not comparing it to anything else because I don't know anything else. But I'm more of an old school guy, and my favorite guitars are all painted with lacquer. So that's just what I what what I navigate to. Yeah, Dave, let's hold it there and take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. If you're at all curious about my guitar repair services or my custom guitars, you can check out my websites, ericdaw.com. That's more the repair side of things. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. I would love to help you with that tricky repair or restoration. You know, maybe you don't have somebody in your area, or maybe you've got a very valuable guitar that you don't want to trust to just anybody. And the guitars that I make are at pinupcustomguitars.com. That's pinup, like pinup girl, P-I-N-U-P. I offer worldwide service uh, on repairs. People send me repairs from all over the country and, uh, well, even internationally. And I definitely send guitars all over the world. So if you're curious about what I do and want to learn more, that's how to check it out. ericdaw.com and pinupcustomguitars.com. Hey, guitar nerds. You probably already know that I make custom leather guitar straps. All of my straps are handcrafted from design all the way to completion. You can see examples of my past work on my Instagram account. That's at MelcoLeather. Visit MelcoLeather.com now to get free shipping on orders of $35 or more within the U.S. That's MelcoLeather.com. M-E-L-C-O Leather.com. So uh you um the I think one of the one of the main reasons we uh were uh talking early on when you contacted me was about Yamaha neck resets and it's something yeah. that I've always you know it's it's one of those questions that I tend to ask when I meet a repair guy like hey do you ever do Yamaha or Asian uh made 
guitar neck resets because when a customer brings one to me, I almost always just say, you know, no thanks because I don't really know what's going on in that neck joint. I've heard stories. A lot of guys say that they're epoxied on or that they're doweled on and that it's very rare to see a dovetail neck joint. But uh, you gave me some great information about that. Uh, uh, you So you've done a lot of Yamaha neck resets? Um, not a lot. Uh, maybe um, maybe six or seven. That's six or seven more than I've done. Yeah. the uh, Definitely the red label ones and older, they're all um, dovetail. And they're glued with hide glue also. That's amazing. Um, they... They are a good tight fit, and maybe the high glue is a higher gram strength. Mm-hmm. They don't come mm-hmm. off as easy as a Martin. Yeah. In fact, when I was looking at the glue, I was like, man, that sure looks like high glue, but it was just stuck so good hmm. Um, hmm. on the last one I did. But then I read that, that guy's website I sent you the link to, and yeah, it is high glue, especially if you look around the braces and the kerfing, you can see the squeeze out. That's cool. Um, when you get into the older or the newer ones that start to be, uh, I've taken apart some that were epoxied on. Yeah. Just yeah. to see if I could. That that wasn't very fun. Oh, I bet. I, how do you even do that? I mean, just same technique, but just a lot more uh, a lot more work. Yeah, they will let go eventually. Hmm. Um, but the the so much steam and pressure is involved that the heel starts getting. Uh, like waterlogged and distorting. Yeah. The, it's not real mahogany on those, what they use. I don't know what it is, but it'll kind of smash the heel, and then you kind of have to monkey with that. Um, mm. I broke one heel off, um, but I haven't found any um, any dowels. I did find dowels in an Epiphone mm. that was made overseas, mm. five, five dowels. I need to send you a picture of that. Oh, yeah, I'd love to see it. It was like a woodworking joint. It was weird. Yeah. I I don't know how you would reset a, a neck that's been doweled on. What did I... I um, ended up bolting it back on, just like our original tailors are bolted on. Oh, okay. Like mo- just modifying it to a bolt-on neck. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how else you could do it. I mean, there's no... Uh, you can't, like, add a dovetail to it, so... No, our our original tailors that were bolted on with the fingerboard glued on and just the two inserts in the heel are real real easy. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost it's just like a butt joint. Yep. Yeah. You just hollow out the heel like you would do the cheeks of a dovetail and then um shape it to the side. Mm-hmm. Pull sandpaper behind it. Um yeah. set your angle and your side to side and Yeah. The the Yamahas that I've seen that I've been tempted to reset the necks on, uh, it seems like they have a lot of finish between the neck heel and the body. Uh, does that cause a problem? Do you have to score through that? Yeah, yeah, just like a Guild or a Gibson, yeah. um, but it's it's polyurethane. Uh, yeah. Well, no, some of the older ones are are nitro. Oh, really? Yeah, some of those old ones sound so good. They just have, uh, you know an impressive tone uh, and you can pick those up cheap. They do. Well, they're starting to fetch a little bit higher price. So yeah, that's in true. Like the four to $600 range. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like what happened with the, uh, you know, harmony sovereigns years ago. Yeah. The, the, a lot of the, a lot of the better vintage harmony acoustic guitars are, 
are climbing up there now. I've seen some of those go for over a grand. Oh, yeah. Yep. I believe it. Yeah. Which is wild. You know, you think about it. I mean, but um, it makes sense. I mean, even especially sometimes I look at it uh, just adjusted for inflation. I guess those guitars should cost a grand. You know, I mean, if they were if they were a hundred bucks in 1960, that's probably somewhere around a thousand bucks today. True, true. And they were about not much more than a hundred bucks when you and I started all this. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Or you know, maybe two or three. I used, get for them. I used to find old harmonies all the time, and it's one of my favorite brands. One of my favorites to collect because they're they're. Uh, more affordable and they're a lot more plentiful. Right. But um I was reading about Harmony and uh they the the book that I read claimed that Harmony made more guitars during their years of operation than all of the other American companies put together. There that could certainly be true. Isn't that astonishing? Yeah. Um I I was uh talking to you earlier on the phone and you mentioned guild neck resets briefly. Um the guilds that I've reset, they have a slightly different neck joint, and they use a lot more glue. It, they, they actually glue the cheeks. I don't know how to explain it, you know, but um, to, the, to the actual sides of the guitar. So rather than just having glue just in the dovetail, the glue comes out and onto the butt end of the neck, glued onto the, you know, face of the sides there as well. Have, is that what you've experienced? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, I actually had one that was kind of a nightmare. I thought it had a bunch of glue in it like that. And this is one that was made in Westerly, Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. um, and it just, the, the upper part towards the fingerboard was about one third. It was nice and loose and wanted to come out. But the lower part of the dovetail where towards the back was just really stuck. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, oh, man, they just filled this whole thing up with glue. I know it. Uh. I finally did get it to come apart. Um, they had wrapped like some 150 grit sandpaper around the bottom of the dovetail. Um, that was, I have pictures of that too. That was inside the neck joint? And it was embedded into the sides. Yeah, it was wrapped around the dovetail. About two-thirds of the dovetail was wrapped with some sandpaper. Wow. Like as a, a shim. Like as a shim. You know, that is wild. And it just... With between that and the glue, it was stuck. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the it's it's a uh, the Guilds and and Gibsons are. You just hope they didn't use a lot of glue. I mean, the Martins yeah. are just so predictable. They they come off like clockwork. Right. You know, they were meant to come off. I agree. Yeah they they were they were thinking um, they were thinking more of a serviceable joint where a lot of those. Gibsons and other brands that you see, uh, I've seen. I've worked on Gibsons where they had put the neck on and then put the top over that. Oh yeah, yeah. I haven't hit that, but I've heard of it. It's not good. <laughs> it's not. You fun. can only think that that was done in the factory as a top replacement. It's possible. You know? I don't know. I just don't know the story on why. That was done. Obviously, it wasn't done very often because I've, I've done plenty of Gibsons, and that's I've only hit one of those. Well, I think it started out as a top replacement in the factory where they just took off. You know, there was a completed guitar, mm -hmm. 
and they decided to replace the top. So instead oh, of taking the neck off, they just took the fingerboard off. Yeah, I see. Replaced the top, trapped the dovetail under it, you know, and then put the fingerboard back on. Hmm. That would be the only logical yeah. thing in my mind. Yeah. Um, can you tell me about this? One of the most common questions I get from from just from people and from listeners of the show is uh, how I reset necks. And I'm always curious to ask other luthiers about their techniques. Um, I'm assuming that our techniques are pretty similar, but can you walk me through kind of a, a standard neck reset? Uh, sure. Um, well, I pull the, fo- the 15th fret um, as carefully mm-hmm. as I can, and if I'm not going to refret it, I mark one side as the base side so I can put it back mm-hmm. in the exact same spot. Yeah. Um, I have like a number 44 drill bit I think I use to drill through the fret slot and use an old string to poke in there and make sure I have a found the cavity or the void. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be tricky. I mean, like on Martin's, it's what, like three-eighths of an inch in from the fingerboard edge, yeah. and you're pretty much guaranteed. But other guitars, you have to angle sometimes towards the nut or sometimes towards the bridge. Yeah, sometimes it's if hard to find that void. Find that pocket. Um, and then I I do I do use uh, the Stumac, the neck-pulling jig. Me too. Isn't that a nice thing? I do. I've done it both ways. I've yeah. done it just by wiggling it, um, but I like the jig. I do too. Better. I do too. It was that was worth every penny. I uh, yeah. I used to you know just use muscle and strong arm them out, um, and then I made my own jig years ago, and it it was okay. But the Stumac jig is works so much better than the crappy jig I made. So I'm I'm glad that I. I finally bought one of those years ago, but when you drill the hole for the steam, uh, do you do you only drill one hole or do you drill two? No, I, I drill two. Okay, yeah. So and I alternate. Yeah, and steam. sure, so that there's a hole for steam to escape. Yep. Yep. Do you loosen the fingerboard before steaming or after steaming? You know, um, my friend Pat DeBurro, um I think you mentioned him a long time ago. He sent you a note and you oh. recognized or looked at his web website. He does, um, he's up there like on a TJ Thompson level mm-hmm. and only works on Martin's tailors and callings, uh, has done thousands of neck resets. And he, a couple of years ago told me he was heating the fingerboard, but not loosening it until he started steaming it off. Mm-hmm. So after would okay. be the answer to that. Now I've tried it both ways. And I'm not sure which way I like better. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can do the finish work. Um, and if I get any blushing, I have some blush retarder in a rattle can. Yeah. Are you aware of that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you just hit it with that right away. And then any kind of blushing I get, um, I've gotten to where I can fix that stuff really good. Yeah. Even on vintage finishes, and it it's not an issue for me. So I think a lot of guys are really afraid of any kind of finish work or just don't have the capability to do it. Yeah. A lot of times you, if you get blush, um, it'll it's just surface and, and can polish right out. Sometimes mm-hmm. it, if I, you know, if you let it sit over a couple of days, it'll 
it'll almost disappear. It's a humidity thing, you know, but yep. if it, if it stays, yeah, there's, there's ways of dealing with it. I've, you know, I've gone back and forth and I've tried it both ways. I asked recently, I asked TJ Thompson what he does and he, uh, waits until after steaming to loosen the fingerboard extension from the top. Uh, and his reasoning, he said, is that he wanted to make sure that he knew where the steam was going. He wanted the steam to stay in the void and not go out the sides. Um, and I totally get that. It's just so tricky to uh, to steam and then have to stop what you're doing with the steaming and then loosen up the fingerboard extension, right? Yeah. I haven't figured out the, the best way to do that either. It all has to happen kind of at the same time. Right. Uh, so it, it makes sense. I like what, um, you know, I, I've done that before where I'm, you know, I heat it up. I heat up the fingerboard extension while I'm steaming and then try to kind of mm-hmm. do everything at the same time. It's it's always interesting heating up glue and removing, you know, uh, opening up joints. You really just have to get, you have to be patient and you have to know exactly when you've hit the temperature where the glue will give up easily. I, I think yeah. a, a lot of repair guys jump in too soon when the glue's not ready, the glue's not hot enough yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you can, especially if you're doing something like a bridge removal, if you don't get it hot enough, man, it'll tear fibers out like crazy. Oh, yeah. And that's something that's yeah. hard hard to recover from once you've got so much wood missing there. Same thing with fingerboard extensions. Yep. It's tricky. No, I agree. Have you seen this new uh, heat stick that Stuart McDonald is selling where um, they're advertising like steam-free neck removal? They'll it's a it's a basically it looks like a big soldering iron, but it's got just a thin um needle that goes in and heats up the joint. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that and I would never use that. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm not I'm not gonna try that anytime soon. Uh, to me, um you need the steam. You need the it's the it's the moisture, not the heat well, that's loosening if you the watch glue. The, the video also, they they put water in there. Uh huh. So they say to squirt some water into your hole. Yeah. Um, to make a little bit of steam, but it it's 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 for guys that don't want to fix any blushing. But you have to yeah. drill a much bigger hole, and then you have a giant burn hole also. Yeah, yeah that's not good. <laughs> but I think if you if you look it up again, they say to add like a you know a teaspoon or two with a syringe of water into your hole. Yeah. So that will start the process but i wouldn't even try that if they gave it to me yeah (laughs) interesting you know another um another uh question that i get a lot is is about uh straightening out necks that don't have a truss an adjustable truss rod whether it's Ah. whether it's a vintage harmony or a vintage martin you know all over the place they there's there's high-end and low-end guitars that have this problem how do you deal with that problem? How do you straighten out necks that uh, don't have adjustable truss rods? Um, well, that's where I could probably learn a thing or two from you. When I worked at our little repair shop 25 years ago, we did have an iron to mm-hmm. straighten necks with. Cool. And like you said, they don't sell those anymore. Right. Um, we used it with varying results. Um we had a guy that would bring a guitar back once a year to straighten the neck on. 
Oh, wow. Like clockwork. It was a Ibanez neck through heavy metal guitar, you know, with the Floyd Rose um, neck through body. He had two of them, the exact same color, and one of them would just back bow itself, and we'd front bow it, and then a year later he'd bring it back, and we'd do it again. Yeah. So I wasn't too sold on it, but I, after listening to what you say about it, I definitely want to get one. I think I'm going to have to make one. Yeah, that's what I ended up doing. Um, the, I mean, I've gotten pretty good with the compression fretting on the Martins. Cool. Um, that's definitely, well, it's trial and error, and even while you're doing it. Yeah, it's, um, it's tricky. You really want to have a good set of different tangs you can work with. Yeah. Um, but that in a combination of sanding out fingerboards, I've sanded out thousands of fingerboards. Mm-hmm. Um, when in fact, I, whenever I do a refret, I sand out the fingerboard every time. That's, that's probably one of the most valuable things I learned at Taylor. Uh, we have a different way of doing that when you're doing it by hand. Really? Um, <laughs> and using the truss rod during the sand out the whole time. Um, when I got to Taylor, I was like everyone else. I just wanted to make a fingerboard as flat as possible. Uh That would guarantee a good fret job, and I would fret it. My frets would be perfectly level. I would string it up, and it would be buzzing. Uh Um, And once I got to Taylor and they taught me how to sand out a fingerboard, um, that all went away. So as you're sanding out your fingerboard, you want to get it level, obviously. Sure. but you want to check it with a really good straight edge and slowly tighten the rod until it starts bumping up in the middle like it where it's supposed to uh-huh. around the seventh fret or so. You know, if it starts bumping up in other areas, you need to mow those down. Yeah. And so uh-huh. you're constantly checking it, uh, loosening and tightening the truss rod until the truss rod is working only where it's supposed to. Uh, it's kind of hard. You'd have to watch someone do it. No, and it I, takes a lot of practice to get yeah, good at. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Because um, you can make the neck as perfectly dead nuts flat as you want, and as soon as you turn the truss rod, if it back bows on the base side and yeah. does nothing on the treble side, yeah, your all your work is down the drain. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I've. That reminds me of another thing I wanted to mention um someone has coined the term um uneven relief out there and if their guitar if they check the relief on their fingerboard and they have uneven relief that equals a twisted neck yeah i agree absolutely and that is not always the case oh you're so you disagree okay tell me tell me about that and it's not always a bad thing either because Uh A little more relief on the base side of the fingerboard is always kind of a plus. Not necessarily a bad thing, sure. You can run a little more relief on the base side and a little straighter on the treble side. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's how the Pleck sands out fingerboards. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a Pleck at Taylor we can in the repair department, uh-huh. but that could be a whole other interview. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I uh, see, I see that often with uh with when you look down a neck I see uh this really often where it's not you know you might have it perfectly straight on one side and then maybe a little bit of relief or a little bit of backbow on the other side and um that is 
that does mean to me that does mean that the neck is twisting a little bit but it's so common almost i mean we're dealing with wood here this isn't steel you know it's yeah. it's so common almost every guitar has uh, just a a very almost imperceptible slight twist in the neck yes and it's if the guitar plays good then it's not an issue absolutely i agree yeah you bet and you and, can dress that out if it's minor in the frets as mm-hmm. you know Sure. But someone out there, I mean, it just drives our customer service department crazy. They call up and, my guitar has uneven relief. (laughs) They're like, oh, here we go. Yeah. So, but you can't, it has to get back to the factory. We have to look at it and tell them, no, your neck is not twisted and Mm -hmm. we'll fix it. I was just talking uh, about this to a customer earlier today. It's, it's, um, it's easy to get upset about really tiny little details and minutiae um, and lose sight of the big picture, which is, how does the guitar play? You know, oftentimes I'll have, somebody will bring me a guitar and it plays beautifully, but they're upset because, well, for example, they're looking down the neck and they think that the the neck is slightly twisted. And, okay, maybe it is, but it's so slight and it's not affecting playability. So really, you know, what are we worried about here? Exactly. And that's what makes our field interesting because we're dealing with guitar players. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It, it's crazy, isn't it? You know, I, I, I've thought about this a lot. If you if you're a car mechanic, everybody pretty much agrees, like if the brakes work or not. Right. Like, I, you, like you can get in a car and OK, does it start? Okay, do the lights work? There's no guesswork. But because guitar playing is an art, and it depends so much on the player, it's sometimes very difficult to match um, uh, match a guitar's uh, setup to the player's needs. And sometimes a player might have, um, I don't know how to say it, but... Uh, like impractical expectations of what their guitar needs to be doing, right? Yes. It's not everybody always agrees, okay, this guitar plays great or that guitar doesn't. You know, not not everybody always agrees. Yes, and that's that's something I I don't miss at all because at Taylor, (laughs) when you're at the repair department, um, towards the end we were all doing the walk-in guitars because we get a lot of walk-in customers. Um local owners, uh-huh. but most of the guys had never been in that world Yeah, because everything was checked in by customer service and we didn't ever have to talk or see to see the customer. Yeah. Huh. Um, but they're always changing things around there. So now it's back to one customer service guy checking in the walk-in guitars. Uh-huh. In my experience, um, working, you know, doing guitar repair with customers for, almost 25 years now uh it's oh it it seems like you know it's funny how there are how there are different personalities that seem to come with different guitar brands like i always know that a a guy who has a tailor is going to want super low action like it's it's there's just there's just these certain things that seem to go along with um different brands but there's taylor is one of those brands where um i kind of I kind of know a little bit about you as a guitar player if you're bringing me a tailor or if you're bringing me 
an Ibanez or if you're bringing me uh, a Martin or, or a Parker Fly, you know, whatever brand it is. Totally. You, and that's, that's one of the things about becoming a good repair guy like you is how, how to handle all those different situations. And like you said, see it before, before it comes, you already know kind of what you're up against. I mean, the, the, all the Martins that I work on, I know I can run the action a bit or quite a bit higher and it's almost expected. Um, yeah. Then a tailor for sure. Yeah. Um, unless they're, uh, you know, it's a, a smaller Martin and I know the guy's a finger style player. If it's a dreadnought, they want a higher action. They're usually a flat picker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I give them a tailor setup. They're going to turn right around and go, this is terrible. <laughs> What'd you do? Right. My guitar's buzzing. <laughs> and everybody's tolerance for buzzing is different. You know, I mean, I've, I, I have customers who have the lightest touch. I mean, they could they could play a guitar with the action so low. I mean, just set unbelievably low and just be delighted with it. And you'd hand anybody else that guitar and they'd say, oh man, this guitar is buzzing like crazy. Only because they're hitting it harder. Mm-hmm. I agree, 100%. Yeah, it's interesting. Bass players are even, it's even more to extreme what I found, what I remember. yeah. There's some bass players that you could check their action with a, you know, 40,000s feeler gauge. <laughs> They're just barely touching the strings. Yeah. And the neck that's dead straight. Yep. And then another bass player that plays with a pick and needs the action at, you know, almost a half an inch. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that is funny. So do you... And play punk rock or something. Do you, um, do you advertise uh, around the San Diego area for your repair services, or is this... Uh, uh-huh. Um, no, I, I, I did when I first set up my shop, um, it took me a couple years to finish some projects around here. Uh, and when I got my buffer made and my spray booth and it's still not a hundred percent done, I did run an ad on Craigslist for almost two years mm-hmm. and picked up enough customers. Um, I only have about 15 or 20 customers. I pulled that ad and it's been probably three years since I've ran any advertising because the people just keep coming back or word of mouth. If I advertised, you know, I work on guitars all day for eight hours and then come home and work in my shop for (laughs) at least an hour up to sometimes four hours every night. Yeah. um, And completely ignore my poor family. Yeah. Right. That's not always, but they sure seem to think so. Yeah. Um, But I love it. I mean, I'm not out here, you know, cursing and having a terrible time. I'm yeah, you're doing what you love. Listening to the Fred Files while I'm working and <laughs> yeah. Jason's podcasts and oh yeah, those are good, man. But I um, no, I don't need to advertise. Um, and unfortunately, like I said, I I got some customers that have nice guitars, and uh, I get to work on. Right now, I've got a. Did you ever see the Martin guitar? They made a black one and a white one, and the black one was called the Negative. No. White fingerboard and a white bridge and a white pickguard. Oh, really? Like a negative photo? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. It's, this is like one of 60. It was a uh, limited run. I've got one of those that I have to remove the tail strip mm-hmm. because someone put a pickup in and drilled through the, the white purfling around the, the tail strip. Hmm. And the guy wants it to go back to original, which was like a little ebony strap pin. Mm-hmm. So I've got to dig out that tail strip and and replace it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I've got another customer that has a whole bunch of guitars. Um, I'm working on a one of those L6S guitars. Do you sure. remember the Maple? I do. Gibson 24 fret. You bet. I refret that and had to spray tinted lacquer on the fingerboard to match it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've worked on a lot of those over the years. That's funny, you know, I we have uh, such similar stories. That's the exact same thing I was doing when I was in Seattle. I'm working on guitars for eight hours a day, and then I'd come home and work in my home shop for a few hours. Mm-hmm. And it was exhausting, but I loved it, you know. I'm working a little less these days, but that's only because I'm just com- entirely, completely working for myself. But uh, I've stopped advertising locally also. I, when I first moved back to Idaho... I was running a Craigslist ad, and uh, I I stopped. I just, you know, so much of the business that I would get from that would be like, uh, you know, can can you can you restring my um, my Esteban guitar or you know something like that? And yeah. uh, and I don't really want, you know, that's fine. But there's music stores around here for that. I don't really mm-hmm. want to be doing those. Um, I. I'm in touch with the local players who know about me and know where I am. And a lot of my work is, you know, shipped in from out of state or my, or the guitars that I'm making. So I've just completely stopped advertising except for this podcast, which I guess is a form of advertising. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Well, that's good. You, you've done a a great thing um, with this podcast and everything. I mean, you were at one of the premier music stores of the United States. Um, I hope I'm, everyone understands that. Oh, thanks. Well, you know, I I appreciate that, and it it I I love that guitar store, Emerald City Guitars in Seattle. Um, had, had you ever been there? No, no. But I we keep tabs on what on yeah. all the music stores out there. That's a great shop. I mean, for vintage gear. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just great people and and great gear. It's it's that's good, man. Yeah. No, they're up there with if you want a vintage guitar, that's one of the oh, yeah, four or five you go to. Right, they're up there with anybody. Um yeah, it's it's interesting with this podcast, it's something that I started because I I like talk, you know? I wanted to start a podcast and it's just that I chose this subject because it's what I know about, right? But I it kind of uh got wheels and really took off it like I never thought that it really would. I mean, it, this is just something that I started because uh, because I wanted to, and it, it turned into kind of a, a really lucky stroke of unintentional genius f- as far as getting my name out there better. Well, you guys do such an awesome job, and I, I'm really happy that you've kept it up. Oh, thanks. Um, you and Melissa, your, your online personality or on-air um, – is amazing. It's funny. It's entertaining. And then the subject matter, of course. And you're giving the best advice I could ever imagine. When I first saw it, I didn't listen to it. I'd heard Jason mention it, and I was like, oh, man, I don't want to be... I'll probably get mad if I listen to it. <laughs> and I didn't know what to expect, and so I did start listening to it. And I was like, wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. Oh, thanks. I appreciate he's that. Giving the correct way to do things. Yeah, I mean, awesome. You know, if you have a hole that's stripped, you fill it with a wooden dowel with wood glue. You know, you don't jam some toothpicks in there and break them off with some of your kids' Elmer's glue. (laughs) Um, You give, you and I virtually do the same repair work. Mm -hmm. I do a couple things differently, but 
it's almost like I know what you're going to say when you're answering a question. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. And it's always the correct way. There's no shortcuts in this, in this field. Yeah. Um, there's, there's the shortcuts. Yeah. Right. That people have taken. Yeah. Yeah. There's tips and tricks that, that, that help, you know, um, methods and uh, techniques that, that help and can make things easier. But yeah, it's always, you know, the hard way is, is usually the best way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dave, I'm going to let you go. I, I really appreciate you being on the show and, uh, I hope we stay in touch, man. Yeah, it was a blast. Cool. Yeah. You can call me up whenever, um, I'll come back on. Um, I've had a great time chatting with you and, and keep up the, the excellent work. Thanks, man. And I'm I'm glad to have a contact down there at Taylor too, because uh, I might be reaching out to you when I when I need help with with Taylor's. It's it's a brand that I don't know a whole lot about because uh, well, I've worked on a lot of them over the years, but um, it's just not my expertise. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Anything you need. Cool. Just let me know. Right on. Thanks again, Dave. I appreciate it. All right, we'll be in touch. Okay. Take care, man. Yep. Bye bye. Well, that does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to Dave Stoudy for that great interview. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you want to participate in the show, we're going to be doing back to normal, back to question and answer episodes. So get those questions in. Go to ericdaw.com, click the contact link, and submit your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is call or text 757 757- 774-8482 you can call that number anytime night per day and leave a message we'll use it as part of the show 757-774-8482 thank you talk to you soon